Welcome to Market Scale Retail. I'm Sean Heath, and today I get to have a conversation with Matthew Tate. He's been a senior account executive with the Buxton Company. Matthew, how are you today? I'm doing good, Sean. Thanks for having me. Hey, um, so you are a numbers nerd, just like I am, and analytics is really kind of not a hobby. It's just a thing you really, really enjoy. Although I guess you could call it a hobby. I don't see anything wrong with that. Tell me, uh, what is it about data and, and analytics and what is it about that that just grabs your attention that just speaks to you? Sure. Yeah. You know, maybe it stems from my love for baseball. Baseball is a, a data statistically driven sport. Obviously, uh, a lot of us know that, especially those of us that are that are true baseball or seam heads. Uh, we, we, we love the numbers and we love uh, diving in at a, a very deep level. But the fact that you could um, take a standard defensive approach and shift guys, all guys to one side of the infield or outfield based on numbers and analytics and and what we've seen in the past and, and do what almost visually looks like suicide or like you're throwing in the towel. Um, but yet it, it, it ends up probably uh, benefiting you and your team more so in the long run than it does hurting you. Um, I think that's where my love and my passion for data and analytics came from is, is truly from baseball. Well, you know, uh, that's something that, for example, the uh, the Houston Astros system is really starting to become well-known with applying analytics to what would be considered non-traditional defensive alignments, uh, using shifts for right-handed batters, which you never see. Um, and uh, that's even starting to happen with their AA and AAA clubs on the regular. So I'm, I'm, I wonder, do you think that's a function of finally being able to measure something. I mean, you don't come up with that sort of off-kilter approach until you have some metrics that say, hey, this might work. Is that just a, a, a function of being able to measure things more accurately now? Yeah, I think, I think you know, to make uh, to make a, a data-driven shift or change, whether it's, it's baseball or, or any way, shape, or form, you're making this shift or change, you have to have data that suggests you should do it. And then you have to do it a couple of times or a lot of times to then study that data to see did that work or not, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the Astros are, are one of the front runners when it comes to uh, data and analytics. I, and even staying in Houston, the, the Rockets are in, in basketball, uh, also a big data and analytics uh, team as well. So, um, yeah, it, it, I think it comes from you know, we've had we've had some pioneers that have said this is what you need to do, uh, and we need to try it. And then you have some traditionalists that say, nope, we're not doing that. Uh, but over time, you start to get data, and you can kind of uh, measure your response, I guess, and the accuracy, and you know, the win percentage, and and just all the all the attributes that that come back from saber metrics or from uh, some of the deeper dive analytics and and now you can really gauge was this helpful for me or this did this end up, end up hurting us more than it helped us now you know we're talking about this in in sports terminology but this could very easily be applied to any participant in the retail space tell me about how analytics are starting to literally alter the face of the industry yeah, no, that's a great question. And what we do in, in my line of work is is we build site selection models for retailers. And so uh, in order to do that, we have to have data from from all the retailers out there that we're going to build a site selection model for. So store data, sales data, customer data, transaction data. 
um, site survey data, any kind of data that you can think about, loyalty customer data, uh, any of that data we can put together to learn trends and study who's coming into a restaurant, who's going to shop at a at a traditional retailer, um, and then we can use that to understand where there's gaps in the market or opportunities as well. On on the flip side, and, and probably what we'll spend, uh, I would think, uh, a majority of the time talking about what, what I do on a daily basis is, is we're helping cities and communities across the country leverage data, just like the retailers do, to understand what retailers are a good fit for their community. Because uh, as, as consumers, when we go out to eat or when we go to shop, we think about where we're going to go eat. We don't think about the city boundaries. We don't think about the the county lines that we're crossing. We just think, okay, uh, I've got I've got time for fast food tonight because I've got a busy day. So let me just let me just go get a quick burger, or I'm going to take my wife out for a nice you know white tablecloth steakhouse, and I'm willing to travel a little bit further for that. And so everything we're doing and, and what I do on a daily basis is studying that consumer habit and the. The behavioral habits and it's it's really fascinating as we we've kind of branched from baseball and basketball to now talking about retail and, and even more so what we're doing in the communities um it's helping communities get smarter and get better and and not just pick up the phone and try and call any retailer to recruit them to their community but understand where are the gaps in our community where are the gaps in retail categories so that we can uh, close that gap of of essentially sales tax leaving our community you know, I'm a big fan of the concept that anything you can measure, you can improve. But in contrast, anything that you can measure that you don't can be a huge disadvantage. And the fact that municipalities are starting to take um, a proactive approach to measuring what can be measured and trying to figure out, okay, how does this help us? How does this help our residents? That is a really powerful, I don't want to say a shield, but it's a very powerful component to building a community's confidence from a retail standpoint. For example, there is a a pretty serious fear of Amazon. Uh, And by fear, I mean unknown. We don't know exactly what it's going to be. We don't know exactly how influential it is going to be in the future, but we can definitely see how influential it is now. How do you take that quote-unquote fear and present it in a way that doesn't just absolutely terrify a municipality? Yeah, that's a great question. That's probably one of the number one questions we get across the country is is kind of a question around the Amazon effect and what's that what's that do to our current businesses and what's that do to our recruitment potential. You know, one one thing that um, we, we share with communities across the country. I believe it was 2017, Amazon made up somewhere between seven and a half to, to nine, maybe 10% of all retail transactions in the United States. And so, um, so for some communities, it's like, oh, okay, well, that's not a very big number. But for the right community, you look at it and they go, wow, okay, so what Amazon's doing now, it might just be in its infancy. And that those numbers are only going to double and maybe triple and quadruple over the next few years. And so, uh, so there's no signs of Amazon slowing down. But when we look at uh, some some other signs that, that might give us a little bit of encouragement, Amazon, who, of course, got started as, a, as an online bookstore, they're entering the market, as, as you may know, as with some, some brick and mortar bookstores. They're also getting into the grocery space as well. And so even a massive online retailer 
like Amazon, who most of us would say, well, they have no business opening a brick and mortar store. They're still opening brick and mortar as well. And so that's, that can be encouraging uh, to communities across the country. The other, the other thing, the big, the big trend that we're seeing is people really focused on recruiting um, retail or at least wanting to recruit retail that is Amazon proof. So experience-based retail, gyms are very popular right now. Gym and healthcare type of concepts are very popular. Uh, and then, and then we're even starting to see stuff like uh, darts and, and miniature golf and, and top golf and stuff like that, you know, kind of make, make some of those old traditional types of retail, um, experience, make them hip, put them, you know, in, into a, a nice social setting and, and do stuff that Amazon can't compete with from an online standpoint. The one big benefit that I always go back to when I think about why Amazon is successful as they are is their distribution network the the concept of dropship the the way that they get the of course they have an incredible selection of a 27 zillion items that are for sale but that wouldn't matter and it wouldn't be uh, influential at all if they couldn't get them to you in such a timely manner that is a a very subtle concept but incredibly powerful. What are some other little subtle tweaks that you've seen that can really have seismic real world impacts? Yeah, I think uh, I think one thing that we might start to see coming coming uh, online here, or I guess <laughs> I guess online is a bad choice of words there, but coming to uh, stores, I think you're going to see a lot of people take the Tesla model uh, and kind of apply that to to what they're doing. So uh, you're going to walk into stores and you're going to see. Uh, maybe maybe one of each shirt. So in, in the past, you'd walk into a big department store and you see, you know, the shirt you want, and, and they've got fifteen of them in every color, every size, every everything you could imagine. But I think uh, we're going to start seeing shrinking of of businesses down. You're going to start seeing smaller footprints from some of those department type stores, and they're going to carry one or two, or maybe they'll carry one of each shirt, and and it's going to be in, in each size and each color they have. And then you're going to purchase it there, but you're not going to leave the store with that in your bag. It's going to be shipped to your house by the time you get home. I think that's something you're going to start to see more frequently. Uh, and, and that might be in, off in the future in the distance. But I think that a lot of people are going to really try and jump on that supply chain type of uh, drop ship uh, uh, fulfillment. Um, I also think that you're going to see, you're going to see increasing. Um, it, you know, I think I've read somewhere that, that one fifth of, of American shopping malls will close in the next five years. So taking a proactive approach to shopping malls and how we redevelop them and redesign them is going to be something that, that is going to be a trend uh, in, in, in communities and local government and just all retail in general. You're going to see things like mixed use facilities. So, you know, you're going to, you're going to see people putting office space and living space, hotel space, all of those uh, have been traditionally, uh, different sectors of your community, but those are going to be all right on top of each other and, and, and mix that right in with retail. So um, I think that's the type of stuff we're going to see uh, in the coming future. Well, another thing that's really impacting retail and the way we look at and interact with retail is mobile technology. Our supercomputers that are in our pockets are redefining the way we live 
in so many aspects from communication to family and friends to being able to access the internet from any point where we have cell service to being able to purchase things. How much is mobile? Are we, are we anywhere near the evolution of this industry that mobile is driving? Man, I think mobile. I think mobile is also still in its infancy, but I think there is a place. You know, one thing that that we study is uh, psychographics. So, getting beyond demographics. Demographics are age, race, ethnicity, stuff that that we've heard before, uh, and and probably everyone could tell you what some demographics are about where they live or or um, or about themselves. But psychographics tell people how live the, how they live their lives and, and spend their money. And so it's behavioral lifestyle traits. And, and so when we study those uh, here in, in what we do, um, we start to learn that there are big chunks of, of the planet or of, of the United States that that do make online purchasing through their cell phone or they will click on banner ads, they will click on email ads, but there's still a big chunk of people that are still, they like to get that postcard, they like to, to see what that offer is, they like to bring it in and get the 20% off. And so while I think that, that again, I think that mobile is in its infancy, I do still think that, you know, you don't want to miss the mark and, and, and you've got to understand as you're customer base or uh, if you're a retailer, if you're a city, a, a city or a local government, that um, there's going to be people that also uh, still like emails, still like reading the newspaper, still like uh, looking in the magazine or, or uh, kind of a daily feed. So, um, so yes, mobile's in its infancy, but I think that uh, we don't want to ignore those other mediums as well. Another thing that's really changing, and you mentioned it earlier, is... Uh, for example, malls closing. One of the reasons that malls are becoming unprofitable is because the retailers are shutting down their individual locations. That seems to be very scary, especially if you're talking about smaller communities that want to entice one of these retailers to to come in, both from an employment jobs perspective, but also to a, a product uh, pro- provision for the community. How are these smaller communities struggling with the fact that these retailers are just closing stores left and right? How do they how do they address the desire to get those retailers to come to their communities? Yeah, you know, one thing that we're seeing across the country is is um, business incubator programs in in different communities. So essentially, you know, myself as a as a potential business owner, I may not know all the hurdles to get into the market and to open a business. And so cities are starting to put programs in place, either through the university or at city hall there and uh, to, to help educate those that might be interested in opening um, a business on, on all the steps it takes from getting a loan to uh, getting IT and infrastructure set up in my business. There's a lot of steps that, that could scare off some people. So one, one way we're combating and we're seeing combat the big national retailers closing and and being more cautious when moving into secondary and tertiary markets is trying to find and and embed a culture in their own community of of entrepreneurs and and trying to pull them out of the community as well to say hey you know you've got a great business opportunity here you've got a business idea let's let's see what we can do to get you to open here uh, and and in our community and make a difference if you see something like uh, the Pont City Market in, in Atlanta, for example, this place is 
awesome. And, and it's, it's really just a big vacant building that they've kind of turned into a dining hall and, and there's a little bit of shopping in there, but, um, you know, the, the mix of retail in this Ponce market is, is interesting. And it's something to study because it's, it's a high percentage of, of, of dining, um, where traditionally we're seeing malls that were a high percentage of shopping and a little bit of dining mixed in. And so, uh, I think we're going to start to see that flip over as well. And, and so taking something like Pond city market and, and providing and doing that in your own small community, uh, you know, that's a great opportunity as well. And, and something that we're seeing cities across the country do where they're trying to, they're trying to find their own brewery guys that can open a craft brew. They're trying to find their own best barbecue, you know, cookers in their community to then go out and, and open uh, a barbecue truck or something like that in the community. So um, trying to stay local is, is one way uh, that we're seeing people kind of combat that the, the closures of big retailers across the country. So you and I started out today talking about sports, and I figure it makes sense. Let's wrap up today talking about sports and the way uh, it is analogous to retail. In the PGA Championship this past weekend, Tiger Woods plays the front nine and does not hit a single fairway. Now, the numbers would have told you, if you had just seen that fact, the numbers would have told you, well, he's dead in the water. And yet... He kept climbing. He managed to climb up the leaderboard because of his ability to recover. When companies take a gamble on data or analytics and they don't hit a, you know, they don't hit a drive right down the middle of the fairway the first time, what sort of advice do you give them to help reassure them that that was an outlier? The numbers say that you did the right thing. Yeah. I mean, numbers are a big part of the story, but there's a lot of things that can happen just like in sports, just like in, uh, in, in what the communities are doing. There's a lot of other things that can happen. So you could, you could absolutely nail a corner of Maine and Maine real estate. You could have the best, um, the best product mix, uh, of any store. It can be great ambiance when you're in the store, but at the end of the day, if marketing doesn't market the store, well, if, uh, if, you know, um, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you didn't hit Maine and Maine. Maybe you thought, let's take a chance on this, uh, this site over here because the data suggested it would do well, but now there's no interstate frontage, or maybe there's no signage in the parking lot that people can see. Uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that, that I guess you could say could, could shoulder some of the blame for a missed home run or a missed opportunity. And so, um, you know, data, uh, is is going to highlight risk and that's what it's best used for is to highlight risk if you're using data to replicate home runs there's so much that goes into replicating home runs you might find a portion of the population that has never experienced your brand before uh, that all of a sudden are raving fans of your brand at a store that that you didn't really plan on them so there's a whole lot that can go right there's a whole lot that can go wrong but but data, in my opinion, is best used to highlight risk, uh, not necessarily to to look for that home run, if that makes sense. Well, it absolutely does. And today, I've had the pleasure of having a conversation with Matthew Tate, a senior account executive with Buxton, and one of my favorite data and analytics gurus. Matthew, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Hey, Sean, I appreciate it. And uh, let's, let's enjoy watching some more baseball and golf together sometime. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.